Welcome to the Prep Pigskin Report Podcast, hosted by Papa Pig himself, Paul Rudy. This is episode four of the PPR Podcast. I, my name is Paul. You always know his name. His name is Bert. Bert, would you like to introduce your friend? I would, I would. <laughs> Everybody will know Lewis Riddick from getting yeah, right. every general manager job I uh, mentioned yeah, every yeah, offseason yeah, yes. and also Monday Night Football analyst. How are you, Lewis? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get talked about with these jobs. I'm not getting any of them. <laughs> well, yeah. we're going we're gonna to get to that, but this is a high school show, so it, pardon us if we start, uh, we do this chronologically, because you uh, played at Penridge High, if I have that right, correct? That's right. Yep. You were yep. USA Today and Parade Magazine All American. So you were uh, you were like Burt Grossman. You were a blue chipper. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't as good as Burt. But <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had my day. You know, it was uh, good times back then, man. Good times at Pitt. Being a teammate with Burt for two years, he was kind of like he, you know he's one of them dudes who was kind of when when you got to campus, you kind of knew who the big dogs were, and he <laughs> was one of them. And he. Um, he took good care of me. There's no question about that, man. He, he took good care of me, looked out for me while he was there, and then he went on to bigger and better things. Well, looking back on it, is, is all that attention you got as a high school kid, was that helpful, or did it, or, I, I assume like it's a double-edged sword a little bit. It, it's good for the, you know, getting on to school, but it's also, it can create an artificial sense of importance. Uh, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's much different now, okay, than it was then in the late '80s, mid '80s. It, the only way the only way I knew that I had even been selected to any of those All American teams was basically buying a hard print newspaper and finding out that I actually got selected. That's how I knew I made it to the USA Today All American team. It always came out on Christmas Eve. Then they had come by my school and took right. some pictures saying that I was in contention for it, but you didn't know. There was no internet then. There was no you know, rivals and, and ESPN 300 lists. There weren't, and where now kids basically track their their rankings year round. Right. There wasn't media coverage like there is now. So you didn't really go to school with that same kind of, you know, fanfare that you do now, which is where kids are like, what can you do for me? It, it isn't like, it wasn't like that then. It was for me, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're, we're different. Hey, so people, I don't, again, we can go over, you are the top. You could have went to any school you wanted to. Um, and yeah. your cousin, Tim Lewis, um, went to Pitt, so everybody thought you were going to go to Pitt. Um, mm -hmm. You didn't even take all your visits, did you? No. How many did I you sure take? Didn't. I only took two, man. I, I went to Pitt and went to Penn State. And look, it's crazy to think about now because I, I think that that's the wrong move. I mean, I think you definitely should take all the visits that you possibly can. Look, you could only take five then. I don't even know what the rule is now, but you could take five at the time. I thought I was going to go visit UCLA. I had had a visit set up to Florida State and Miami and Florida. You know, those were all, those were like Florida State, Florida, Miami, UCLA, Pitt, Penn State were like the six I was really considering. I only wound up taking two. And Jimmy Johnson was the coach at Miami. Then Terry Donahue was out of UCLA. Bobby Bowden was down at Florida State. Um, Galen Hall was at Florida. I remember Jimmy Johnson saying, so you're not even going to come down to Coral Gables. You won't even take a free trip to come visit. And they were winning championships. They had all those teams right. that were stocked up. I didn't even go. So my son plays basketball now. He's 10 years old. I, I think we may have a little bit something there as far as the future in sports. And I tell him all the time, and I tell my wife all the time, look, if he wants to get recruited like I did for basketball, like I did for football, 
You can best believe I'm gonna be that dad. I'm telling him to go on all the visits, all of them with him. There's no question about that. Well, so why do some these blue, the bluest of the blue chippers, this finite group that you were in, yeah. why do some yeah. make it and others don't? You know, I, I think there's a number of different reasons why, and I think it's the same thing that happens when you get go from college to the pros. One, it's about system fit and people wanting to put you in situations where you can really thrive. And I, you know, that's from a big picture perspective. And then individually, it's about understanding that the work is different. The game is different. The requirements are different. You're not the big dog anymore. And whether or not you can make those adjustments mentally and physically to take your game and continue to, to increase it and make it what it needs to be so you can then succeed. So I think it's a it's a two-part process. You go into those kind of situations thinking that, look, what I always did will be fine and that will get me to where I want to get to next, you're probably going to get left behind. If you have coaches and or a system that doesn't fit for you, it's probably not going to work out. So it's a little bit of both, you know, in order for you to really reach the highest of highs. There's always those players that no matter what, you put in front of them, they're probably going to succeed anyway. But that's look that then we're talking about the transcendent elite of the elite. Like that's like coming into the pros and saying, look, Lawrence Taylor was probably going to be good no matter where the hell he went. <laughs> hey, Barry Sanders was going to be good no matter what you did. Okay. He was just gonna be, he's just better than everybody else. But for everyone else, it's kind of a little bit fits uh specific. That's a good, you know, a segue. Um a lot of people know your brother Rob. Yeah. Went to Millersville, kind of got left behind. Did he sit out a year or something? But it's ended up playing in the NFL eight years. You were yep. as high a recruit as you could be in the same house. Yeah. Went on and played eight years. What's I mean, what, yep. what's the difference between two things in two houses that one gets lost for a little bit and one gets everything? Yep. Well, I think, you know, at the time for him, he he wasn't just quite sure of what he what his level of commitment was going to be. Or rather, he wasn't as committed to the process, let's just put it that way, as I was at a young age because I had seen three of my family members, Bert, go before me. Look, I, I saw Rob, I saw my cousin Will Lewis, who was Tim Lewis's brother, right. and Tim himself. Two of them were in the pros. Tim was about, you know, had already was a first-round pick of the 11th pick of the draft. So I knew at a young age, this is, this is just what I'm doing. I've seen these guys do it. I know it's possible. I don't know if my brother even thought it was possible at the time because no one else had even done it coming from where we come from. You know, a lot of times you have to really have someone who kind of pumps that kind of belief into you in order for you to believe you can achieve at that level. And I don't think, I don't think he really had that. He, for two years, kind of messed around, didn't do much with his life, and then wound up saying, look, I need to do something other than what I'm doing right now. And went to school and wound up realizing he's got some pretty damn good athletic ability. I mean, and he was. He, really, to be honest with you, man, of all the people in my family who made it to the pros, my brother had by far the most natural athletic skill. Had a, you know, 38 damn near 40-plus inch vertical jump, could run 4-4. Four, four, I mean, had like 4% body fat. I mean, he was stupid athletic, just ridiculous. And he his career got sidetracked because of injury. I mean, he had multiple knee operations, which, as you know, back then, in the early 80s, mid-80s, you know, medical care wasn't close right. to what it is now. And it just kind of really, he was lucky to play the amount of time he did. 
Lewis, a lot of high school kids are watching this and, and listening to this. So I'd be interested if you, if you have two-prong advice. One for the blue chippers like you and Bert, yeah. and one for the non-blue chippers who still have aspirations to play, either get their education paid for or still play at the collegiate level, and maybe even one day, you know, if they dream so big as to play on Sundays. Could you, sure. could you, could you modify your advice for those two groups? Yeah, I, I think... I think actually the message still would be the same. And it really is. Look, this is going to sound routine, but it really is true. And I tell my kids the same thing. You know, look, the commitment to the process is what really is what it's all about and really what will eventually cause you or allow you to separate yourself from the rest of the blue chippers. And if you're not committed to it, trust me, there are those guys who are. They will wind up leaving you at some point in time and putting distance between you and themselves. Your natural athletic ability is going to get you so far. Your natural skill is going to get you so far. But when everyone else is a five-star, everyone else is a four-star, everyone else was the big dog you know, at their places, you wind up realizing that the work that you have done up until that point is just not enough. And even if you are someone who isn't one of the blue chips, then you know for sure you better commit yourself to the process or you have no shot. And if you do commit yourself, I'll tell you this, you may some, somewhere on the back end of your development, you may pass those people who were ahead of you, who were the blue chippers, because they didn't commit themselves. And we see that all the time with undrafted free agents who wind right. up being Hall of Famers and first rounders who wind up busting out of the league in one or two years right because that's the difference so it's always it always comes back to the work and that's not just for football that's just life in general it always comes back to the work that you want to put in hey so any i remember when you first came in um <clears throat> frankie the fixer recruited you and you know <laughs> yeah and i had a relationship with him but you know this is a high school kids show and, and it's, it's funny to look back and think what you would have done in high school i remember you wanted to be in sports medicine and now you're monday night yeah. football how, yeah, how does that switch from one to the other? Yeah, well, go figure. When I first got there, I wanted to be in sports medicine or I wanted to be, um, I was thinking about trying to be some kind of some kind of surgeon, some kind of doctor. You know, yeah, I was pretty good in school. I was pretty smart. I applied myself. But, you know, when you wind up, you know how much time it takes to play football. And, you know, with winter conditioning, spring ball, the amount of travel you do in the fall and all. And then when I looked at the class load, I was like, uh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I'll try something else. And, you know, how did I get to Monday Night Football? Look, I, I think always, you know, I had a couple of public speaking classes in school. Um, whenever I talked to the media, I was always comfortable doing that kind of stuff. And I think once I got out of personnel work uh, from 2000 to 2012 that I worked with Philly and Washington, I think media stuff is always something that, I was interested in because I just like talking about football. And one of the things with media, with media work though, is and just like with a lot of other things is it's about who, you know, and who knows you and, and timing is everything in life. A lot of times, just like it is in sports, the timing matched up enough. People knew me that gave me an opportunity, but again, it's about the work you put in and what do you do with it after you get that opportunity, man. And that that's, that's for me, Bert, that's what it's always been like for me about what do you do once you get the opportunity and i know some you know opportunity doesn't always come for everyone the same way it does with other people but all you need really is one shot well, it's I, about the work and I, once you get once you get that opportunity just maximize it i think you sell yourself a little short because you're really good at what you do uh I, i'm curious what is what is harder to 
to do? Call a game on Monday night in front of all millions of people live? Or is it harder yeah. to assess, you know, we should draft this guy or not draft that guy? I mean, w making personnel decisions in the NFL, which do you is more <laughs> personally challenging? Oh, for sure, assessing personnel because you can you can watch all the tape in the world, right? You can do all the psychological tests and physical tests on a player that you want, and you can have a good idea of what you think someone's going to do, but how they're going to react in that moment in time when it's their opportunity, once they get around the, the things that you, then you can't control, you're just a passenger. So you can't really see it all the way through to the end and have it and really have your hands on it the whole way. Announcing football games, yeah, it's challenging as heck, but at the same time, I'm in control of my own of my own destiny when it comes to this. What I say and what comes out of my mouth is under my control at all times. The right. amount of work I put in to get ready to do a game is under my control at all times. The greatest thing ESPN has done for me, unlike what happens when you're working in the front office and all, is allow me the freedom to really just kind of be myself and say what I want to say and kind of express things in my own way. And in personnel work, especially as you're trying to work your way up, there's a lot of politics and BS involved in some <laughs> of that stuff that doesn't allow you to really say and do what you want because you're working for somebody. Right, right. So th this has been the best thing in the world for me. And, and it's not easy, <clears throat> but it's a hell of a lot easier than navigating some of the things you have to navigate when you're talking about personnel work. Uh, I bet. Hey, what do you think with these, with the new NIL deals and the new super conferences? Uh, I mean, and, and we saw, uh, you know, we both went to Pitt. You see, Pitt has to make this corny, whatever the guy's name is, coach, um, yeah. title for, for $20 million, yeah. where you get Alabama gets probably $20 million a week from somebody right. new. Is it ever going to yeah. be balanced now, or is it always going to be the same five every year now? No, it, it, you know what? It's going to be, unless you start winning on Bama's level, then no, then, the, you know, the the way things are distributed are not going to be the same. But, I mean, again, that that's life. Again, I mean, that that's just about, you know, sometimes the rich get richer, man. That's just the way it works. The more people know you, the more people want to give you things. Isn't that kind of odd? Like the more, the more you already have, the more people want to give to you for free and make you and make, and just make you even richer and bigger. And, and Bama, look, Bama deserves everything that they get. And the players who go, who go there deserve everything they get. Nick built that thing up from a time where they weren't, Alabama was an afterthought. Now kids come there and they just blow up automatically. If the rest of the schools want to catch up to them, then you better start winning on their level. Are we it's ever going to have to call the pit coach the Lewis Riddick head coach of 1990 whatever? 87, uh, 80, 80. I mean, I, no 90. I mean, that's pretty. <laughs> are, are you, do you guys give back to your alma mater like that? I, you know what? I don't make Lewis Riddick money. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'll tell you. Um, the person who's giving back the most in that look, Aaron Donald, none of us are making Aaron Donald money. Aaron Donald's <laughs> sports complex there now. That's so, right. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I love, look, I love our school, man. There, there's no question about that. There's things that they do that kind of tick you off that yeah, aren't the responsibility of the people who are there now. Some people before them kind of got pit a little sideways and off track. They're working hard to get back now. They got a good, they probably got a good team this year, though, as they've had in years, man. They, they might be able to make some noise in the ACC this Come year. Come on. They're hey. like the Chargers. We hear that every year. Uh, on a serious They might. Note. I'm just telling you. They might. <laughs> they, they got a good quarterback. I know that Kenny Pickett's a good quarterback. Uh, uh, they got some people who can rush the passer, Bert. Mm. Not as good as you. On a more global note, Lewis, 
the role of sports in, as it relates to in national tragedies, be it playing football after the Kennedy assassination or or what what the NFL did after New Orleans went through Katrina, or we're coming yeah. up on the 20-year anniversary of of 9-11. Why does sports I don't know, say it just seems to go hand in hand with maybe how how we honor the fallen, how we remember, how we heal as a society. Is is there a relationship, or am I am I waxing poetic on something that doesn't exist? No, there's there's definitely a relationship because, and especially with, look, I'm biased obviously, but I don't think it's very hard to see that football in in particular is something that really does seem to bring people together and really does. I don't, I don't like using the word distract people from what's going on in real life, but I think in its own small, unique way, it teaches some people about how in a, in a utopian type setting, how maybe life should really be in some ways, because you have guys on a roster, whether it be pro college, big time college football that come from very different backgrounds, different races, different religions. And because they're working towards something, they wind up not, they wind up seeing through a lot of that stuff and just kind of becoming teammates, friends, guys mm -hmm. who are always, who are trying to accomplish. Look, I mean, Bert obviously, I mean, Bert has much different upbringing than me. You know, he's he was two years ahead of me when I came into school. I, I mean, I was from a small, tiny town that we didn't even get, you know, cable TV until I was a sophomore in college. And because we're playing on the same defense, recruited by the same guy, we're from the same area, we just start talking. I look up to him. He's one of the better players. He takes an interest in me. Next thing you know, you know, we're battling Penn State on national TV, and this is a guy who's telling me, good job. I'd have to communicate to him, you know, where I'm at on the defense relative to what he's doing. And next thing you know, we're working towards it. And people kind of – people look – people see that on a football field, and I think they wind up, you know – getting this feeling like, man, maybe if we just kind of work together like guys on a football field do, things could be better too. And I think people gra people gravitate towards things that give them hope. And I think sports gives people hope. Sports gives people a blueprint of how maybe they can make things better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's, uh, you know, there's, there's some good lessons in football in particular. I know it's taught me a hell of a lot uh, about how to do things in life in general and, you know, that started going back to college. Well, college in particular is where I really started learning some of those lessons. That was well said, Lewis. Well, that's why you get some uh, big money. You know, and now look at, look at you've healed, and now you're doing an award-winning podcast 20 years later. <laughs> look at you. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I mean, you're really coming up in the book. Uh, don't remind myself of where I'm at. <clears throat> go ahead. You ask your COVID question. Well, no, I have another one. You know, Tom Brady's come out. You know, with uh, fantasy football, you, you think the rule book in the NFL and, or in college is slided too far towards offense now because people want to see a lot of scoring, but it's not the same game anymore and people are going to start to lose interest in that? Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I, I, don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if people, honestly, Bert will ever lose interest simply because, I mean, football is so ingrained in our society and people love the game so much. And, you know, it, it's just such a part of the fabric of what we do in this country. You know, they'll complain about it. They may not like all the things that are going on with it, but they won't lose interest in it. And now that, now that uh, fantasy football is 
has kind of like become synonymous with pro football. Now that sports betting, online gambling has become something that's huge. I think this it's just going to draw in more and yeah. more and more people. But as far as the game itself, yeah, look, you, you can't do half the things that we could do in the late 80s, early 90s on the defensive side. There is no more intimidation factor right. anymore. There's certain areas of the field that you knew was a no-fly zone, <laughs> yeah. dangerous zone before, that now wide receivers run across the middle of the field, chin up in the air, catching the ball. <laughs> and, you know, and, and quarterbacks will throw it to them knowing, I dare you to hit my guy because automatically it's going to be 15 yards. Or like last night in the uh, in the Louisville game that they played against uh, Ole Miss last night, I mean, you had four kids. Four kids were called for targeting and thrown out of that game. I, I re- well, those, those hits were normal. So, yeah, they got to be careful. But the game will never lose its popularity, as far as I'm concerned. Chuck Cecil cannot play in 2021. I don't. No. Uh, hey, uh, Lewis. Uh, along those lines, because we, we were bringing up Tom Brady, he also says COVID-19 is going to play a much bigger factor in 2021. Oh, yeah. With uh, yeah. players, you know, we're going to now have the COVID injury report. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that something that could potentially turn uh, fans off if, if if they tune into a Monday night game and the two starting quarterbacks are on? In protocol? Well, yeah, that, that's something that you don't want. I mean, obviously, the league is always aware, you know, aware of quarterback availability, whether it be COVID or whether it be by injury. I mean, that's why a lot of the rules are what they are now as far as protecting quarterbacks, because people know, you know, when Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are playing, more people want to watch. If they're not playing and their backups are in, if Kyle Trask and Jordan Love were in the game or Blaine Gabbert and Jordan Love, people are going to be like, I'm not watching that. <laughs> So yeah, they they take they take um, a lot of they, they they put a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, the COVID rule, I mean, COVID this year because of the fact that people are vaccinated now, it, it's I mean, you see what it's done to society. It makes people feel very very comfortable. It makes people maybe in many ways have a false sense of security about just how safe they ultimately are. All of us are trying to navigate this thing day by day, and um, look if you're not being careful. If you're not wearing a mask, if you're not staying out of crowds indoors and stuff like that, and you still test positive in the NFL, although you may not get as sick as you did before without the vaccine, you still are going to have to sit and you're still going to have to test negative. You know, if you're like what's happening with Zach Martin of the Dallas Cowboys right now, he's probably going to miss the game on Thursday. Although he's fully vaccinated, he has to produce two negative tests with at least 24 hours in between, and then he could play again. But still, it's still taking him out of right out of the rotation right now for a short period of time. And yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more of that. I think you're going to see a lot of teams getting hit because that's just the nature of the beast and the nature of this virus. And we're all just trying to stay away from it. Last question, Lewis, because I know you're busy. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about you maybe being the GM of Chicago Bears. If you had, would have gone the same way, trade up for Justin Fields, (laughs) keep Justin Fields. What would you have done with that? (laughs) Yeah, man. Look, Justin's, Justin's a freak. I don't think we played against any guy, any guys like that in our time. Closest I think it came to it was maybe Major Harris down there yeah. in West Virginia. Yeah, Justin's one of those guys who, yeah, you you knew that you had to address that position when you were in Chicago. If you had, you know, if anybody who would have been in Chicago knows that they had to address that position. He's um, he's a special dude, man. He's a special dude. Chicago's got their work cut out for him because they don't have a very good offensive line. Good defense, decent running game, but the offensive line—you know how that goes. Yeah, but they got a lot the most of good quarterbacks piece. get thrown in the NFL when you can't protect them, man. And I don't think they can protect them very well. So that, it might be a long year for the Bears. Lewis, 
thank you so much for once again making our show a little bit better than it should be. So uh, yeah. uh, we thank certainly you, appreciate your kindnesses. I know you're doing it for Bert, but it's uh, no problem. A, a big thank you on our part. And uh, we hope you have a good call Monday night. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Good to see you, my man. Too, Lewis. Thank you.